Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. What a wonderful time of year. I can't think of a better time of year to be opening God's Word and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I hope you have a Bible with you because I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, as we look at this topic, how not to ruin Christmas. How not to ruin Christmas. I don't know about you, but I don't want to ruin Christmas. I want to keep it the way that God intends us to keep it. So we're going to look today at some ways that you and I can, by following the pretext right out of God's Word, following His guidance, we can not ruin Christmas, but rather to live our lives in a way that pleases Him. You, Luke chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because not only it contains the Christmas story, but on a personal note, it brings back a lot of memories, a lot of nostalgia. I'm one of those folks who is very blessed of the Lord to grow up in a Christian home. I am very thankful that many of the folks who have been saved over the years, I've been saved by grace through faith just like everyone. But my life doesn't consist of some hardships greatly attributed to the fact that I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm so thankful for that. When I was growing up, I can remember in my mind sort of this trifecta, I would call it, of three different occasions where we sort of celebrated Christmas. One was at our own home uh, with, with, with our parents. I got a brother and a sister, and, and at some point, whether it be Christmas Eve, whether it be Christmas morning, Part of our tradition was we would open a Bible just like this and we would read the verses that you and I are going to read this morning. The other two occasions was I was also blessed, and a lot of people can't say this, and a lot of us in the military certainly don't, you know, we do good to see our immediate families all the time, much less grandparents. But when I was growing up, I had both sets of grandparents there all the time, live within three or four miles from me. So either on the Sunday before Christmas Christmas Eve, or it changed over the years, but for most of my childhood, through my teenage years, I actually spent Christmas at one set of grandparents, where most of the cousins, at least the, most of the majority who lived close, got together, and then over here, went to the other set, moms and dads, and guess what, in both times, we would sing and do different things, but one of the key things we would do is, just like we're doing now, take our Bibles, and we would open it up, and we would read the Christmas story. So that was my childhood of remembering the Christmas story. Well, we're going to read this story, and I want to point out a couple of things right at the beginning as I study it, and you may have heard some of these things. Some of the typical things we say about the scene at Christmas is not necessarily in the Bible. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is, for example, when you, when you see depictions of, of the Holy Family making their way to Bethlehem. Remember that from Nazareth? They had to go to Bethlehem. We're going to read about it in just a minute. You see a picture of Mary riding a donkey. Well, believe it or not, it's not really in the Bible that, that she rode a donkey. She could have. It could have been a cart. We don't know. Typically, when we have a manger scene, we have this big sort of stable-looking thing. Again... I hate to ruin it, but most of our major scenes probably aren't exactly like it was. In fact, when you read the story, it just uses a simple term, a manger. All we know is it's a place where animals could have been. 
At our manger scenes, at, at our homes, what do we typically have around the manger? We have all these animals. In fact, Thomas, uh, he imagined this idea of the cows and the sheep and all these animals. Well, there could have been. The Bible doesn't say there was a cow, there was three sheep, there was this, there was that. We don't know what. We always, who else do we have? Mary and Joseph and the baby. Shepherds, and then we have these wise men. Well, you know, have heard that in the original, the wise men, they never made their way to the manger. You say, well, how do you know that, chaplain? Well, this what you see is what we're going to read in Luke chapter 2 now. In Matthew, you read about the wise men. It uses specifically, came, they came to the house. Because you've got to think, they had a baby in this story read. Well, they eventually made their way home. And what they did wise men house and we all Jesus was certainly under two years old we know that is because we find out that King Herod decides who is this born king of the Jews well I know what I'll do Herod said he will kill every child under two years old so we're guessing that somewhere between birth journey back home and two years old uh, he made his he made his way back so they weren't really kings they were more like wise men and we don't know a whole lot about them. We don't even know if there were three of them. We just get that from the gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There might have been two of them that pulled their resources. It might have been 15 of them. I don't know. When I think of the plays, you ever watch the best Christmas pageant ever and all those kind of plays where we make it? Typically, when, when Mary and Joseph show up at a hotel, it's like, it's like an inn, like a hotel. Well, again, I hate to ruin it, but it may not have even been a hotel. It just says an inn. It's simply been an extra room that somebody had. Uh, it could have been there's no room in the. It just says the end. When, when, when you dig into the original language, what that means, we, we just don't know. But in our stories, our, our plays, we'll have in church. Sometimes we'll have a we'll have an innkeeper who's like, no, you have to leave. There's no innkeeper mentioned uh, in the Bible. He more than likely wasn't even born on December 25th. You're like chaplain. You're ruining all this for us. Well. I don't know when exactly during the time he was born, but all, most, most Bible uh, scholars say, well, it was shepherds in the field at night. That sounds more like a summertime thing, maybe than a wintertime, but that's okay. Here's another. We split time based on the birth of Jesus, right? Well, as we go back to study now, our best estimates are that Jesus probably wasn't born like right on the dot 1 AD. He was born maybe 1 or 2 BC. Some people say maybe even 3 to 4 BC. Well, I took that back to a, a man named Denny the Dwarf, Dionysus. He was a medieval monk, and he, he was called Denny the Dwarf, vertically challenged. While drawing up our modern calendar, he miscalculated the date of Jesus' birth. He missed it by that much, which in this case was a few years. I don't point all that out for you to go home and tear down your manger scenes and to fix it right so that, so that it looks just so. I don't want you to be the Christmas police that goes around and every time you watch a movie or every time you see a video about it to just get all bent out of shape. What I'm really concerned about this morning is that how can you and I keep Christmas the way that God intends us to keep it? And I was, as I was thinking about ruining Christmas, I thought, let's turn to an expert at ruining Christmas. You may know this story, the Grinch. You know the Grinch? 
He is the Christmas ruiner extraordinaire. But even he couldn't ruin Christmas. You remember the story? You've probably seen It's originally a book, but you've probably seen many uh, renditions of it over the years. There's live versions, the original cartoon version. There's all kinds of versions of it. But what happens? The old Grinch, he, he didn't like Christmas. And he knew that down in the town where he looked down, it was Whoville. And he knew Whoville was going to celebrate Christmas. And he was a grouchy man, and he decided what he would do. You remember what he did? He said, I'm going to go down there in the middle of the night under period of darkness. And he went, and what did he do? He stole all their decorations. He stole all their food, and you can read about it in the book. You see it depicted on the screen, and he takes the trees. He takes it all, and him and his little dog, and he takes all the stuff. He's the extraordinaire. He's the epitome of trying to ruin Christmas, right? And he takes all that stuff away. And I'm going to read to you the end of the story of what the Grinch found out. Here's what it says. And the Grinch said this. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the Who's down in Whoville will all cry. Boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow, but it started in low, and then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad why this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes, then he shook. And what he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or another, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. And he said, how could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes. His heart didn't feel tight. He with his load through the bright morning light and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast and he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. In the midst of this Grinch trying to ruin Christmas, he learned a little something. I hope that as you and I ponder the Christmas story this morning, we can take some things away that help us to keep Christmas and serve our Lord this time of year in a way that pleases him. Well, with all that said, Let's look at the Christmas story together. It's in Luke chapter 2. You can follow along, and I'll be glad to read it out loud for us. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That is taxed. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger 
because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse number eight. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or some translations, goodwill toward men. Verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that he had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20, we'll stop here. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. I encourage you sometime this time of year to take time with your family and to read this story once again. As we look today, I want to share with us, I believe, three ways, three ways you and I can not ruin Christmas, or more importantly, three ways that we can keep Christmas and serve the Lord during this Christmas season. The first thing I think we can do is, number one, receive and remember God's salvation. That is, receive and remember God's salvation. One of the lines in the hymn, O Holy Night, is a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices because God came to us. I want you to notice what the angel said about it. It said, born this day in the city of David. The angel is very specifically letting the shepherds know that today something very important happened. I invite you to flip over. I want you to see this phrase one more time because Luke uses it again to kind of make the Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 21. We're fast-forwarding in the story. In the story we just read, Jesus was a baby. Here, Jesus is at Nazareth quoting Scripture, and he says this in Luke 4, 21. The Lord said, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he quotes the Old Testament about salvation in the year of our Lord and and the one who's going to come and set the captives free. Jesus is letting us know here that this is the fulfillment. We'll go back to Luke chapter 2. As he says, as the angels tell the shepherds, today is born this day in the city of David as Savior. The first thing we need to keep in mind for Christmas is you and I need to receive that message of salvation. Paul put it this way in Romans at one point. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's interesting to me that the story begins, Luke's history-oriented. He wants us to know it it came out from Caesar all the world should be taxed. He wants us to know a a specific time period in which this happens. As I studied about Augustus, it's interesting. He was the self-proclaimed savior of the world. Rome, if you read about it, they thought a lot of themselves. 
they had what they called the Pax Romana in Latin, the, 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 the peace of Rome. That is that, that everything was at peace, nobody was at war. In part because everywhere that Rome ruled, Rome ruled and nobody went against them. So there was no war because they were all in charge. In fact, Israel was pretty much under the thumb of, of the Romans. But Augustus, he was the self-proclaimed savior of the world. It was ironic to me to think about that the self-proclaimed savior of the world enrolls a census to David's heir, who is the true savior of the world. Isn't that interesting that this little baby who has to go, his parents go because Augustus said so. It's interesting that he comes so humbly. There's a paradox. It's, it's, it's opposite of what we think of the world says power is. God allows his Christ to be with under. This is a very humble birth. We, I, I love looking at the beautiful manger scenes, but if you just read the story just like we did, th- there's not a lot of glitz and glamour here at all. In fact, I can't help but think about the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 where he said he had no stately form or majesty that we should behold him. In other words, talking about the Messiah, it's like Isaiah was saying, when he comes, there's nothing going to You're not going to look at him and think, oh, wow, this guy's powerful. This guy's the the ruler of the world. He's going to have a lot of humility. In this little baby, we have humility, but we also have sovereignty because he is the savior of the world. We have poverty on the one hand. This is a poor couple. We know that because when they give their tithes, turtle doves and pigeons, the, the, the the common gift for someone who doesn't really have a lot of money. He comes in swaddling clothes. He's there where we feed animals. Shepherds are there. Don't think of shepherds as, as, as somebody that people looked highly on during the first century. Um, don't think of shepherds as sometimes we, you know, the working man, we think high of them, right? Blue collar, salt of the earth. Shepherds were not really seen that way. Shepherds were, were seen as, as not trustworthy. The, these guys were just whoever you could kind of get to hire. That, that's, that's the kind of people they were. They didn't have good reputations. The people around the birth are not the most majestic, certainly. One author put it this way. Listen to this statement. You whom the heavens cannot contain, that is God, choose to abide in the midst of your chosen. That's come to us. He said this too. You who will or can cannot find, find yourself to us in swaddling clothes and human form. I want to look at this under this idea of, of, of receiving this salvation, I want you to look exactly at what the angel said in verse 10 on Luke, number, Luke chapter 2. He says, I bring you good news on this day, in other words, in real history on this day, in the city of David, that is a real place, and then he says what? He says a Savior, this one who is going to forgive us of our sins, this one who has come to take away our guilt, Well, who is the Savior? It says in the next piece here, who is Christ? He's the anointed one. That's what Christ means, Messiah or anointed one. He is the Lord. That means he is the ruler. He's there to defeat our enemies and to make us safe and satisfied forever. The first part of Christmas is you and I need to receive God's salvation and understand that we desperately need a Savior and he did come and his name is Jesus Christ. Number two, once we receive salvation, I think we see another thing here. Point number two, we follow the example of worship. We follow the example 
of worship. The one that stands out to me the most in this passage, and maybe you as well, as I've always kind of had a picture in my mind, I guess, because I've heard the story so much of what it looked like. But when I think about those angels, it doesn't say they sang. Maybe they did, but it just simply says in verse 13, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts, and it does say this, they're praising God. And they're saying this, glory to God in the highest. I also want to point this out. Gospel of Luke, it begins with the praise and worship of God, and his gospel ends with the praise and worship of God. Let me let's look at it together. We just read this in Luke chapter two. We won't go back and look in Luke chapter one, but I want to point it out to you that in Luke chapter one you have Zechariah, who is the dad of John the Baptist. Remember what happened to him? Remember he doubted God, and God made him mute. He couldn't speak. Well, he came and they asked him what the baby was going to be born, and he said his name will be John. And then you have a portion of Scripture where Zechariah magnifies and blesses the Lord, very much a celebratory, it's very prophetic sounding, and Zechariah is essentially praising God for what he's done right at the start of Luke. If you also read in Luke chapter 1, that's where the angel comes to Mary. And what does Mary do after she hears from this angel? She simply says, according to your will. In other words, she humbly looks at the Lord and says, God, I'm ready to obey you. And then she gives what some have referred to as the Magnificat, where she, we, she lists out praise to the Lord that begins, my soul does the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I encourage you to look a little further down in Luke chapter 2. At Simeon, there were two elderly servants of God in the temple when they went to, to do what they needed to do for the purification and things. One was Simeon and one was Anna. When you read what they say, look at Luke 2, verse 29. Here's what, here's what Simeon said. Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Mine eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all people. A revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. When you read down in verse 38, you also see about Anna. Look at what it says in verse 38. This is Anna. Coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. As Luke shares this story of Jesus, he begins it as he gives us the story with the praise and worship of God. But this book also ends with the praise and worship of God. I want you to turn all the way to the end of Luke, or I'll be glad to read it out loud. Luke chapter 24, verse 3, what he says at the end of of his whole book. This is after Jesus has ascended into heaven and all that. Verse 52 of Luke 24, after he went back to heaven, it says, They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy were continually in the temple blessing God. This story begins and ends with the worship of God. I believe God is inviting us as we think about the Christmas story to live a life in worship to Him. One of the very popular songs that is fictional because there certainly is no mention in the scripture of a kid playing drums at the manger scene, but you may know the song The Little Drummer Boy. And you may be like me, I could say I knew half of the words because there's always a phrase and then what would say? Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. 
that he'd say something and pum, rum, pum, pum, pum. So I can honestly say I knew at least half the song. But I began to look through that song and look at the lyrics and I like I can't imagine any uh, mother of a newborn baby saying, yeah, that's a great idea. Come and, come and play a drum right here with my infant while I'm trying to get him to sleep. But it's an interesting thought, isn't it? He says this, come they told me, a newborn king to see, our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king. His second verse, in between the drumming, he says, little baby, I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give the king, which is why he goes, shall I play for you? Although we know there wasn't necessarily a drummer there, I love the sentiment. I love the humble attitude of, God, as we come to you, I know I don't have anything to bring to you, you who called me, so all I do is lay my life before you, and I worship you. Here's a statement. Where you invest what you worship. Let me say that again. Where you invest is what you worship. You say, what does it mean to worship God? Well, there's a lot of things we could, that encompass the idea of worshiping God. Part of it is coming and hearing God's word preached. Part of it is prayer. Part of it is corporate worship like, like we're involved in now. Part of it is also, what do I do with my time? What do I do with the talents that God has given me? What kind of steward am I for the relationships that are in my life as a dad, as a mom, as a grandparent, as a soldier? How am I investing my money? How much we spend on things at Christmas has nothing to do with how we keep Christmas necessarily. The question is, what's important to you? I would submit to us that what we invest our time Money and efforts in is what we worship. As we think about a story that's filled with worship, what are you worshiping this Christmas season? When we read this story, we receive God's message of salvation, number one. We also follow the way of worship. But then the final way I think we can keep Christmas is this, number three, follow the ways of peace. Follow the ways of peace. When you read this story, it starts out with Caesar Augustus, all the world should be taxed. And they called it the peace of Rome, but we know it wasn't true peace. True peace only comes from God. When you read this story, however, you read about peace. The angel talks about peace. He says, on earth, peace, goodwill, to men. We read this a little bit earlier. Look at, look at Simeon again. I want to point it out one more time, this idea of following the way of peace. As Mary pondered these things in her heart, as the shepherds glorified God, and then they come to the temple just several days later, go back and look at what Simeon said again. This struck me, verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. As I looked at that passage, it struck me and I realized that's just a little softer way of saying, God, I'm ready to die because I've seen your peace. Wow, that struck me. My question for us today is, are we ready to die because we have God's peace? When I served at Walter Reed, 
I would visit people in the hospital. And a lot of times when I did, I had to be careful because I learned very quickly that many times, although chaplains are always there to visit people who are very, very ill, sometimes when someone was having a routine surgery, I would go visit them just to say hello and ask how they're doing. And sometimes I would get this approach. I would come in and I'd introduce myself and they'd go, whoa, whoa, chaplain, what are you doing here? I didn't know I was that sick. I, I call it the Grim Reaper effect. It's like, oh, no, what did I not know? I just had my tonsils out. They're sending the chaplain. I just had my appendix removed. They're sending the chaplain. What is wrong with me? You know, and when I've had people say something to this effect and we've talked about it, they'll say, well, chaplain, don't get me wrong. I know the Lord and I'm ready to die, but I thought you were gathering me up to go right now. You know, and none of us are necessarily saying we're going to go right now. But I can't help but think that what an example that Simeon gives us. He says, God, you're letting your servant depart in peace. He was an elderly man. But he came to a point in his life where he realized the peace of God brings me such an overwhelming peace that even if death is just around the corner, I am ready. We live in a world that doesn't have a whole lot of peace. To that, I think, earlier in our Advent reading, my family listens to a lot of Christmas music o- over the years. We'll, we'll start in August. We don't even care. We'll listen to a lot of Christmas music. And, and one of the more humorous ones to me that I, I don't know why, I just I always fussed about it as not being one of my favorite songs. It's a secular song. And, and I kept listening to the words. And, and you may know the song. It's been done by a couple of different people. But the chorus goes, last Christmas I gave you my heart. And the very next day, what they do? You gave it away. Well, this year, to save them tears... I'll give it to someone special. And, and I hear that, and it makes me think about counseling sessions I've had sometimes where, where it's one of those things where like, well, last Christmas I gave my heart, but they gave it away. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to do it again next year, and it's going to go so much better. And, and that like we are sometimes, you know, that's, that's the I'm going to keep banging my head against the wall and wonder why it's bloody kind of thing. It's one of those, hey, if what you're doing is not working Let's just keep doing the same thing and see what happens. Well, we know when we think about this person and they came to my office as a chaplain, I'd say, well, stop, just start to whoever every year. Let's, re- let's reassess this thing so that you don't have a broken heart every year and we'll, we'll, we'll solve your Christmas. Amen. But in all seriousness, we do that. And if we're not careful, we'll miss God's peace. We'll try to find peace through other things. We'll try to find peace through doing all these gifts and accumulating a lot of debt, and maybe that'll make us happy because we've got a lot of stuff. We'll try to have peace through just putting on a good face and putting on a good smile and maybe getting together with family, but there's a lot of underlying problems, and maybe if we ignore them, they'll go away. But guess what? The dinner table's cleared. Sometimes those problems are still there. We try to find peace in so many different places, but what we find in this story from and from the angels. And I submit to all of us that we'll only find peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we find peace in places. We find peace with God. We find peace with ourselves. And we have peace with others. Simeon had peace with God. I can't help but think about Romans chapter 5 where he... Where Paul says we have peace with God through our, through our faith in Jesus Christ. I can't but help but Philippians chapter 4, we're in peace with ourselves when Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but at everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, roll your anxieties over to God. 
And what will happen? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts. We can have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and we can also have peace with others. In the book of Romans, Paul said in one place, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Some of us aren't at peace because we don't forgive. You've probably heard this many, many times, but guess who's being hurt when I don't forgive? It's me. It's me. God's saying, here's a better way. And by the way, how much has God forgiven us? We deserved eternity in hell because of our sins, but while we were sinners, rebellion against God, Christ died for us. If we can have that kind of love and grace shown to us, I think if we apply that same grace to our lives, we can live at peace with others and we can show forgiveness. And what will happen is as we forgive those who trespass against us, we'll have the peace of God. I encourage you this Christmas to find that peace. My prayer is that we don't ruin Christmas. And I know we won't intentionally, and I don't, again, don't mean to go and change your manger scenes, change your decorations. But the point is to receive our Lord, to worship Him, and to experience His peace. God bless you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You give us peace. In one place You say, peace not as the world gives. I pray that just as Mary pondered things in her heart, God, that we could ponder things in our heart. Give us opportunity, God, to take time this week to reread the story of Christmas and to think about your salvation, to think about worshiping you, and to have your peace. God bless your people this week. We celebrate your coming. We're so grateful for it. And we long for the day when you return that second time. Bless your people as we go. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.